Happy Father's Day uh, to all the fathers in the room, uh, biological, adoptive, married, single, and spiritual fathers. Happy Father's Day. If you are um, a God-fearing, Jesus-following, Bible-trusting man, if you're committed to being here with us and worshiping here with us and serving here with us and growing here with us, please do not underestimate the influence you have on those around you and the next generation coming up after you. You may or may not have had a good godly earthly father but that does not dictate whether or not you can be a godly father here in this place because you are a new creation in Christ so uh, to the fathers here let's love and lead like we have truly been made new in Jesus happy father's day to you Uh, there's a popular saying It's quite amusing, and um, it's also horrifying. Uh, Maybe you've heard it. You are what you eat. (laughs) I've never felt like a chicken wing before, but, I mean, the the logic is airtight. So I guess I am a a chicken wing. No, on a more serious note, and there's, of course, a reason that I bring this up. On a more serious note, think about this with me, okay? Every second Sunday of the month, we gather together as recipients of the gospel, as followers of Jesus, whose sins have been atoned for and who have been forever justified before God by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And on the second Sunday, we get together, we, in repentant celebration, eat and drink Jesus' body and blood through the elements of bread and the cup, we who partake of, we who eat the body of Christ are the body of Christ. We are communally assembled together. We are the body of Christ. We are what we eat. As believers of the gospel message, hear this with me, we have not been saved onto an island of isolation. We have been saved into a community of believers. And at Oaks, we strive to practice community. In other words, we strive to engage and to embrace, to lean into one another the way we see it presented throughout the New Testament. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles or On your devices, we use the English Standard Version here. The book of Ephesians was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul while imprisoned in Rome to the church he had planted in Ephesus. In the first half of this letter, we read a bunch of indicatives. In the second, we read a bunch of imperatives. Here's what I mean by that. In the first half, we read things like this. God has done this for you. You were once like that, but God has made you like this by his grace. In the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we read things like this. Now that God has made you this, 
Go and live this way. Don't live that way anymore. Live this way. This sequence to Paul's message, uh, this sequence of indicatives before imperatives reveals as much to us about the gospel as Paul's literal words do. The gospel is not go and do this so that God will make you his in Christ. The gospel is because God has made you his in Christ. Now go and live like this. There's a difference and I hope it's perceived. I hope we hear it and it actually is going to affect how we dive into our topic this morning the practice of community without further ado let me just read the passage and the passage will set itself up for us chapter 4 of Ephesians starting at verse 1 going through verse 16 this of course is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word. Uh, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us, that you would reprove, that you would correct, that you would train us in the righteous practice of the Christian community, what that means and, and what, it, what it accomplishes. 
Lord, we ask for this, that you'd be glorified as we are edified, diving into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for the remainder of our time, we'll jump right into an outline, kind of outlining out what we see in this passage. Uh, we'll look at four things. Number one, what community is. Number two, what community does. Number three, what community requires. And number four, what community accomplishes. So is, does, requires, accomplishes. I'll repeat those as we go. Number one, what community is. In verses four through, or excuse me, in verses one through three, uh, we'll examine that closer here in just a moment. But in verses one through three, Paul urges the Ephesians and us as recipients of the gospel message to embrace and to engage what we've been called into. And then in verses four through seven, he makes clear what it is that we've been called into. We've been called into a body of believers, the body of Christ. Now there are two ways we might go about thinking of the body of Christ. First, there is the universal body of Christ that consists of all those from every generation and nation of the world who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And there is a day soon coming when we will stand shoulder to shoulder with the universal body of Christ and together with men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation of the world, every generation, every time, we will, we will get together and we will cry out together, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb. And what a day that will be. There is, however, a second way to think about the body of Christ, and I believe it's what Paul has in the forefront of his mind as he writes this passage to the, to the Ephesians. The local body of Christ the believing men and women who live in close proximity to one another and who assemble together as a local church. So as much as the universal church, the local church, we could include Oaks in this. Oaks is, look with me at verse four, one body and dwelled by one spirit with one hope. In one Lord, verse 5, through one faith and one baptism, unto one God and Father, verse 6, who rules over and through and in each one of us, according to verse 7, the gift of Christ. Now, notice with me two things here. The first just being a quick review of what we looked at last Sunday. At Oaks, we proclaim Jesus every day to Sunday because verse seven, all that we have and all that we are before God is the gracious gift of Jesus. The second thing we should notice here is that we've not been saved by Jesus onto an island of isolation. We have been saved into his body into a community of believers who are knit together by one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one Father. Please understand with me 
that the term isolated Christian is an oxymoron, right? There's, there really isn't such a thing as an isolated Christian. Maybe for mi- 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 like moments on the frontier of world missions, but even then it's not wise for an individual to go by him or herself, but to have a community of saints to go with him or her to the frontiers of mission. So in my hometown, I grew up in Newark. It's an hour and a half southwest of here. In my hometown, there's a guy, I believe still to this day, I believe he he jogs everywhere in town while carrying a sign that says, repent and follow Christ. Awesome. Wonderful. I am curious as what kind of traction, what kind of conversations he's had because of that sign. My little brother became a friend of his son. And I got to do some digging and some inquiring. I wanted to know where that guy worships, what church, what local congregation he's a part of. And out of a town of 50,000 people for decades, he's never been a part of a church because no church really does it for him. That is not what we're called to as Christians. That's just not what we're called to. We are not saved onto an island. We are saved into a community, the body of Christ. Universal, yes, expressed locally. So for us, let me ask you, uh, just to encourage, do you even realize that you're being here, you being here right now, And you're engaging the believers around you, even just little bits in the cafe after our gathering over a donut and coffee. And of course, I'm going to land here, but in community groups throughout the week, do you believe, do you realize that your being here and your engaging and embracing the one another's around you is in fact intrinsically connected to your Christian faith? You're you're being obedient. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you also recognize, and I have, to, I have to say this to myself as well, but long bouts of inconsistency, long bouts of being dismissed from a local fellowship, long vacations that you never really tap into the local fellowship of saints, traveling kid sports and every other excuse we have for just not getting around. Do you also believe, do you realize that that's intrinsically, that, that says something about your Christian faith? says something about mine. Hebrews 10.25 outright commands us, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. But all the more, as you see the day drawing near, the capital D, day drawing near, get together to encourage one another and to love and to stir one another up in good works. So this is why I'm getting to here, why at Oaks we strive to practice community Point number one, now let's consider number two, what community does. Look with me at verses eight through 15. Paul begins to explain what community does by first pointing to Psalm 68. And there's there's a reason that he points to this prophecy about Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, he ascended back to his heavenly throne, having secured salvation for all his people, for a host of captives. 
And the reason he ascended, as Paul explains in verse 9, the reason he ascended is pretty straightforward. He had descended and he had finished the, the atoning work he had done. You know, he, he'd come down to earth to do. And so the time had come for him to return. Um, as though, as he ascended back to his heavenly throne, look, he didn't leave his people hanging. Hallelujah. Not only did he send God the Holy Spirit to indwell us, he gave us gifts. He gave us gifts that would help us to do what we're supposed to do as his body. Verse 11, he gave us the apostles. He gave us his eyewitnesses who would plant churches. He gave us prophets, the prophets who spoke God's words. He gave us the evangelists who proclaimed his good news. He gave us shepherd teachers, elder pastors, to lead local churches through teaching. Jesus gave us these gifts. He gave us his word, his gospel. He gave us the church and biblical instruction therein to help us know him and to grow in him. And I'll make this personal for just a second. Once again, whenever I say you, I'm never not pointing to me as well. He gave you these gifts. Verse 12, to equip you for the work of ministry. To outfit you with tools so that you would participate in building up the church into, verses 13, 14, into maturity, unity, knowledge, discernment. See with me, Hear this and understand this, own this with me, that the health and stability of Oaks Church can't possibly rest on any one person or group of pastors. Jesus has called you to this work with me, with the pastors together. He has called you, believer, brother or sister. He's called you to be matured and unified and knowledgeable and discerning so that you in turn can build up these fellow believers around you into maturity, unity, knowledge, discernment. This is why our Sunday gatherings are laser focused on worshiping God and preaching his word. We are striving to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's all we're trying to do here. This is why our Sunday gatherings are not seeker sensitive. Why our songs and our sermons are not tailored toward unbelievers. Look, if there are unbelievers here, that's great. Hallelujah. I pray that you hear and receive the gospel. But our goal, our aim, our objective during this gathering right now and every Sunday gathering is not to wow or to woo unbelievers with technology or inspirational stories or door prizes and incentives. Our goal is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Amen. 
And notice, this work of ministry can't rightly be lived out. This work of ministry that we're all called to can't rightly be lived out while I'm up here blabbing away, right? Sunday morning, the Sunday gathering is not our only gathering. Throughout the week, we break out into eight smaller community groups that are more conducive for doing the work of ministry that we're called to. In our community groups, we pray for and with one another. We fellowship and eat. We discuss scripture. We apply what we're learning in God's word. We encourage one another. We challenge one another. We grow together and mature together. And we didn't come up with this model on our own. Firstly, a lot of churches do community group model uh, philosophy of ministry, right? But the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just think with me about all the environments we see Jesus in. He gathers a lot with the 72, the big church, if you will. He gathers a lot with the 12, the, the community group level. The guys get in here with me and let's chat. And he also, he hangs out a lot with Peter, James, and John in an intimate, accountable, laser-focused group of men. Be awesome if we begin to see, and we are beginning to see even here at Oaks, trusting relationships being built up amongst men and women in community groups and smaller breakouts are beginning to happen even outside of our fourth Wednesday of the month when we specifically, we, we uh, divide out into men and women. We didn't come up with this model though on our own. We see Jesus in these environments of community repeatedly throughout the, the gospels. And its purpose and our purpose in doing so is for building up of one another as the body of Christ, slowly but surely into maturity and unity and knowledge and discernment. That's what we are striving to practice here at Oaks. That's point number two. Point number three, what community requires. Look back with me at verse one. Right here, Paul urges the Ephesians and us as recipients of the gospel message, of course, to embrace and to engage the community we've been called into. In verses two and three, he tells us what we will need in order to do this, in order to stick with the community of Christ, the community of brothers and sisters who are around us. Look what, we, look what we'll need, all humility. <laughs> wow, I'm disqualified. Gentleness, patience, Loving forbearance and eagerness to maintain the unity and peace that we share in the Holy Spirit. Why would Paul need to write these things if community is so easy? Community is not easy. Community is not actually easy. Hence his need to write uh, you're going to need humility and gentleness and patience. I mean, just ask the men and women who have to deal with me every single Wednesday. They need all humility and patience and forbearance and love and eagerness to maintain peace, right? One day I even hear, you know, imagine this. I, I hope to ask Simon the Zealot 
and Matthew the tax collector as oil and water in Jesus's community group, I want to ask them, um, what was it like for you to embrace and to engage one another and to mature and be matured by and to build each other up in Jesus's community group? And I bet you, I bet they'll say, Chris, it required nothing less than spirit-empowered, hard-learned humility and gentleness and patience and loving forbearance. And mysteriously, over time, by the grace of God, we even developed an eagerness to maintain unity and peace with one another and to be together. Simon and Matthew didn't choose to be in community together. That was Jesus' doing. That was the Lord's doing. And really, so we treat it and so we view it here at Oaks. Our community groups are comprised of 10 to 20 or 25 or 30 or 35. Uh, we need to multiply more of our groups, but, but ideally comprised 10 to 20 congregants who honestly, I'll speak for myself in my community group. I love my community group. I probably in and of my own self wouldn't have chosen to hang out with any of them based on face value. Like I'm just different and you're different from me. And wow, wow though, we've all been put together and wow, I love my community group. It's such a mysteriously wonderful blessing to listen to and to watch and to glean from the believers in my group who are quite different from me, who have different vantage points, who think about things differently than I do, who have different life experience and are currently in different life stages. Paul writes a bit about this in Titus chapter two. He writes about the blessing of older men who are quite different from the younger men, breathing into the younger men. He writes a lot about the older women who are quite different than the younger women, breathing into the younger women. And, and there's such a blessing to be gained by that exchange of wisdom and passion. He writes quite a bit about it in chapter two of Titus. The question for all of us, the question for, I'll say this, to the younger, and, uh, younger men and women here first, the question to you, are you being humbled enough by the Holy Spirit to listen to the older saints in your group? There's a lot of wisdom to glean. And to the older men and women, are you by the Holy Spirit being grown in your ability to share wisdom gently? Gently so that younger ears will hear it and latch hold of it and practice and implement. How about for all of us, are each one of us, whomever is actually in a community group, are each of us patient enough to invest in and reap the fruit from the believers whom God has placed around us? Patience is required, as is loving forbearance, as is a growing eagerness to maintain unity and peace. Do we see what community requires? Lord, give it to us. Help us. Last but not least, 
Number four, what community accomplishes. In verses 15 and 16, Paul explains to the Ephesians and to us that through the mysterious means of speaking the truth to one another in love, through that means, we grow up in every way into Christ who is the head of this body. This is what the community of saints accomplishes in us and through us and for us. Community grows us, builds us, matures and fortifies us as individual believers, yes, but also as a family of saints. You might not perceive it if you've been here for well, I guess a long period of time or a short period of time. Maybe you are diving into your community group, trying to engage and to embrace. Maybe you're not perceiving this growth, this building up happening. Maybe you don't think it's happening. Maybe you actually agree there's a, a woman who has a doctorate in theology who was talking on a podcast this week and she, she said that she doesn't really do community groups because community groups don't really do anything. They don't accomplish anything. Well, okay. <laughs> community groups may not hand each of us a doctorate of theology, right? But community groups do give us a place to put what we know into some practice. Community groups give us a place to grow in our ability to speak the truth in love to one another and so be built up. And oh, that we would embrace this profitable privilege, that we would learn how. There is a blessed, spirit-empowered art to speaking truth to someone in love. That we would learn that is a prayer. And also, too, uh, brothers and sisters, that we would also be bold enough to go to that one or two of our brothers in our community group. And if we're not in one, well, then this is a big old sales pitch, right? So, but that we would, we would grow in a courage to go and ask a couple brothers, you know what? You have pretty good eyes on me. You see me for a little bit each week. You see the way that I relate to my wife and speak to her. You see the way that I parent my kids. You see the way that I lead discussion. You know my theology for the most part. Tell you what, can I just give you permission, just vocal permission, will you please speak the truth and love to me? When you see me erring, when you see me flirting around with disaster, when you see me even just not being self-sacrificial to my wife, Will you tell me? Will you tell me in love and in gentleness with much patience and loving forbearance? Would you tell me and bring it to my attention? What if we did that? Oh, that we would ask others, invite others to speak the truth in love to us. I've had a couple of situations with brothers in my community group that have been so life-giving and I just simply want to share. I, there was a brother several weeks ago in my community group who lovingly, gently said to me, okay, so there was that one part of your sermon that you said this and I think I get what you're saying there but the gospel uh, really wasn't very clear in it. 
what is the good news about what you said? Like, how, how do we see that fulfilled in Christ and how do we see him empowering us to live that way? I, I, I wasn't left with good news after you said that. Wow, man. Okay. So we sat down, we chatted through a little bit. There's been another brother uh, in my community group who asked me to meet for coffee and said, hey, guess what? I'm just going to come out of the gate. I'm not on the same theological page as you when it comes to this. And I, I want you to walk through this particular doctrine that you believe and I'm going to try and poke holes in it and I want you to, 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 to answer and, and let's, let's do some, some loving sparring because we both, we think highly of each other, we love each other, let's, let's spar a little bit. Awesome. That's great. Had another brother in my community group and don't want to hit too much on this uh, hot topic of an issue, but I have... Um, uh, the conviction that Christians are able and responsible, God-glorifying moderation to enjoy alcohol at times. And, and he absolutely disagrees with that and has a real problem with that and wanted to meet together to chat through with me this issue. And it was bringing truth in love. I'm struggling. Let's work through this. I tell you what, that encounter was ultimately, it was so edifying and I wouldn't take it back. I enjoyed that because in the process, being built up and, and grown and caused to think about things and having to really reflect on the way that I say things and model things, mm, this is good. Maturity is happening slowly but surely. Oh, that we would embrace this profitable privilege of speaking truth to one another in love. And so, being grown and built and matured and fortified, very few, at least that I'm aware of, very few churches actually embrace this. I think a lot of churches, maybe even like Oaks, we say we embrace, but very few actually do. In my prayer, my hope, my confidence is that when we lean into this, we will be matured as a church, as individuals and as a local fellowship. We will be spared from petty divisions or lack of knowledge and discernment following uh, the, the, the waves of culture and following doctrine this way or that way. And all of this, of course, is brought to us and made possible for us by Jesus who lived, died, was buried, and rose to, yes, justify us before God, to save us, but not to save us and simply leave us right where we are each at, but to save us into the community of saints by whom and with whom and for whom we are being grown, built, matured, fortified, strengthened, right? To glory be the glory be to, to God, to Jesus, who not only saves us from sin, saves us into the community that refines and helps us to grow up into the righteousness that covers us. And so we practice, we practice community. We've not been saved onto an island to come and go as we please, Many of us are tempted to act as though we have 
We have not been saved into consumeristic Christianity that just, sir, uh, just shows up when, when we need something from someone else. We have been saved into a community. Into a community. Lord willing, being outfitted by biblical teaching and equipped for this purpose that we would roll up our sleeves together, that we would get to work in one another's lives, maturing, unifying, being built up as the body, as the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray and we will continue to sing together. Father, I thank you that in Christ, I have not been saved to myself. I thank you that in Christ, I have and all my believing brothers and sisters have been saved into, I'll even call it this, a, a refiner's fire of community. It is not easy. We do need, as a gift of your grace, we do need humility. We do need patience. We do need loving forbearance. We do need gentleness and an eagerness to maintain what we have been given. Help us, Lord. Give us that. Give us a passion. Give us a desire to speak to one another lovingly and truthfully, to encourage what we see that is being done right because we cultivate what we celebrate, and to Bring up what we see that seems to be a pattern of, of, of sin, of, of less than what you're calling us to. And help us each to respond to that, Lord, by repenting, by trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us into growth and strength. Lord, would you do the work of maturing, unifying, and building up this body comprised of individual believers, but together we make up a family of saints. Would you do that here at Oaks for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name, amen.